All right, good morning. Uh, if y'all come on in, brothers and sisters, and take your seats, we'll go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, we are in question two of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Last week, Pastor David introduced to us the catechisms as a whole, their history and importance for us, and this week we get into the second question. Uh, the first question set up the foundation. What, uh, what is the chief end of man? And we noticed that the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy God. But how do we do that? Well, this is what we get into in our question today. Uh, I'm going to ask this question to, to you, and then we'll say the answer together. And we'll do this a few times because this question, not all of us are familiar with this question as with the first one. So we'll say this a number of times to try to get it into our heads and to understand what we're saying. So, what rule has, hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Let's say this together. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. All right, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we have just confessed that Your Word is sufficient and necessary and has authority over us to direct us how we are to live our lives before You. But we confess that the person without the Spirit cannot understand the things of the Spirit, but in our natural state we consider them foolishness. We cannot understand them. And so, Lord, we humbly ask this morning that You would give us Your Spirit of wisdom to help us understand the need that we have for divine revelation a word from You to direct our lives. And Lord, may we receive this and treasure it up in our hearts so that we might not sin against You. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. All right, the foundation of our question, as we mentioned, was question number one. Question number one. And the purpose is so that we can guard ourselves. The reason we're going to answer this question in its several parts today and try to understand is so we can guard our own hearts against false teaching. False teaching is going to come in from the outside, it's going to come up from the inside, and the devil is going to be constantly peppering you with uh, false doctrine, false teaching. But it's also so we can give an answer. We can give an answer for the hope that's within us. Why do we worship the way we worship? Well, it's according to the Scriptures. Well, why do we do that? Well, because it's the Word of God. So we want to be able to guard and to give uh, a good answer. We have to ask ourselves, do we really want a relationship with God? Everyone is a theologian. Some theologians are not good theologians. But some theologians that know, the theologians that know God are ones that seek Him according to His Word, according to His Word about Himself. So that leads us to our question today. Question two, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? And just a quick note about... Uh, about translations, there is a, an older translation, an original translation, not translation, original edition, and there's a modern edition, and the difference is pretty much hath versus has. So no substantive change, any edition that you have that you're using with your children perhaps is good. But four sections we're going to see today. First is the Word of God. We're going to look at what that is, it's the Scriptures. But where do we find it? In the Scriptures. The Word of God is contained in the Bible. We're going to see that is contained in two testaments. There's a completeness to the Bible. We're not looking for more revelation. But it's also, it has a function, it has a role in our life. And that role is to, to rule us, to guide us, to direct us. 
to be a light, a beacon, like a lighthouse in a, in a storm. And the purpose, <clears throat> ultimately, is so that we would glorify and enjoy God. How, how do we gain our chief end? How do we have true satisfaction? Well, it's by living our lives according to the Word. So, this is our first section. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Now, this Word of God is the Scriptures, and this is the sola scriptura of the Reformation. Uh, the centrality of the Scriptures is, is enough to have a re Reformation over. It's enough to, to make waves in the church and even to, to break away from a, a church that had abandoned the Scriptures and, and the Scriptures' centrality for the church. Uh, the Word of God is to be our center uh, of the Christian life. It's our only rule of faith and practice. It's our only f rule of doctrine, and it's our only rule of how to live out that doctrine. But just a bit more about this Word. The Word of God is the Word that created the world. The Word of God is the Word of power by which He spoke the world into existence. We confess that God created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. That word, that, that's just the Latin phrase for out of nothing. And just think about that for a second. The Word of God is what created everything that there is. And we also confess the Word of God is what sustains everything that there is. So this Word is, is powerful. And this Word is from a particular person, from a particular source, and that source is God. We say the Word of God. So the Word is therefore trustworthy. The Word is dependable. It's not going to fall away. It's not going to trick you into doing something that's not good for you. It's not going to pull your strings. The Word of God is good for you. It's life-giving. Why do we trust this Word? Because of the God who gives it. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? These two questions at the end are rhetorical questions to get us to see it's impossible for God to lie. He would cease to be God. And so every word that you read in your scriptures is the word of God, and it is a true word. But where do we find the word of God? Do we find it on a hilltop far away? Do we find it uh, deep down in our souls? No. We find it in the word of truth, the word of scripture. The scriptures uh, mean holy writings. Uh, the holy writings are writings that are set apart because they come from a divine source. We find it in the Bible, which just means the book. It is the book that is above all other books. And there are various types of scripture. There are various types of uh, genres uh, uh, that we see in scripture. We have the law. We think about the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is very different uh, than some other books we'll see. The book of Deuteronomy is giving to the people of God the precepts, the Ten Commandments, God's very character. We also have the history, the history of redemption. We have a book like Judges, which is very different from Deuteronomy. It tracks God's progressive revelation uh, through the redemptive history of Israel. We have poetry. We have poetry speaking to the soul in the Psalms. We have the prophets. Uh, as an example, we have Isaiah, which is a letter that is not only to the people, but also speaks about the nations coming in, the Gentiles coming into to the covenant community of God. And these 
this few categories right here compose the Old Testament. We also have more genres in the New Testament. We have Gospels. The Gospels are history of the revelation of Jesus Christ, His person and work, His three-year ministry. We have the Epistles, which are letters to the churches explaining what the Gospels mean. What does the Gospel mean for you? Well, it means uh, we live our lives according to the faith of Jesus Christ. And then we have apocalyptic literature. And these are just a few examples of the various ways God speaks to His people. And God gives us a whole range of of, uh, genres because He's speaking to a whole wide range of people. And He's speaking to every part of your being. He's speaking to your mind, speaking to your heart, He's speaking to your body. But how do we get Scriptures? How do we get Scriptures? A A word about this. Well, we believe that there is one author of the Bible, and that author is God. God is the author who gives unity to the whole scope of the Bible so that uh, Moses has something to say that Paul will pick up on. Right? They are connected because God is using human writers. There's, there's one author, but there's many human writers. And so we see unity and diversity in the Bible. We see one story of redemption going from Genesis to Revelation. But we also see the personality of the writers. And let me give you a place where we uh, see the, the, the Holy Spirit as the author, but also human writers. In Second Peter 1, we see this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here we see two agents. We see an author, which is the Holy Spirit, and we see the writers, which is uh, the human authors, uh, the human writers, excuse me. The scriptures don't come from man. The scriptures don't come from uh, some fellow who had a vision or a dream. They come from the God who is over all. And this leads me to uh, the doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration. What what do we mean by that? This just means that every word, every word is given by God. It's inspired by the Lord. Every word is God-breathed. It's breathed out by the Holy Spirit. That means it's, it's trustworthy. If you're taking notes, then you can look up this passage about how every word is profitable uh, for teaching, correct, correction, reproof, rebuke, uh, and training in righteousness. So if the Word of God is God-breathed, if it's inspired, if every word is from the Lord, that means it's infallible. The Word that we hold, the Bible that we hold in our hands, the Word of God cannot contain any error. It's inerrant. It's without the possibility of falling short. Uh, there's trustworthiness in, in the Bible. If you want to read more on this, I, I highly recommend uh, the works of this man, B.B. Uh, Warfield, a Princeton theologian, and, and his work, uh, The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible. Uh, he wrote this back in the 1800s, and it is the work still today uh, about the inspiration of Scripture. But I want to give us a quick definition of what is the Word of God. Well, the Word of God, the Scriptures, is the revelation of God's redemption of His 
people unto His praise and glory. The Bible is the revelation of God's people, of God's redemption of His people unto His praise and glory. And it's contained in the 66 books of the Bible. All right, so the Word of God is contained in the Scriptures. Now, next section. The Word of God is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And here I want us to, to say this again. So let me ask you the question, what rule hath God given to direct us that we may glorify and enjoy Him? Let's say this together. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Forgive me. Good, you got it before before I even uh before I even moved on. Excuse me about that. All right, so the word of God is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. There's finality, there's completeness. Why two testaments? Why two testaments? Uh I highly encourage you this afternoon, if you've got nothing on, read Hebrews six about why there is these two revelations, these two scrolls. Uh, the Old Testament is redemption prefigured or redemption promised. Redemption is promised. It's shadowed. It's typed. It's echoed in the sacrificial system. It's echoed in the redemption of Israel coming out, being brought out of Egypt. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot save. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sin. So we're looking for a better sacrifice, a better priest, a better uh, king, a better prophet. And so in the New Testament, we see exactly that. Redemption accomplished. Redemption is accomplished in the New Testament. It's a testament about the person and work of Christ going to the cross, being our better prophet, priest, and king. <clears throat> we confess that not a jot and tittle will pass away of the Old Testament uh, because Jesus has fulfilled every jot and tittle in the New Testament. So we see redemption prefigured, redemption accomplished in these two testaments. But again, there is a, a finished work. There's a finished work that we're looking at. A special revelation used to, used to, before Scripture was written down, it used to include dreams. The Word of God used to come in dreams. You remember Jacob. Jacob dreamed a dream and he saw, you remember, a ladder ascending and descending to heaven and angels were coming up and down on it. And that was the true Word of God. That was a revelation of God. It used to include visions. We remember Daniel with these strange visions, apocalyptic visions of beasts coming out of the sea and particularly a, a statue and then a stone coming and striking that statue and that stone being uh, the cornerstone, which is Jesus. The, the Word of God used to come in direct speech. We remember Moses on Mount Sinai. The revelation of God came as the Lord communed with Moses and He spoke to him and gave him the law, the Ten Commandments, the instructions for the tabernacle. But in these last days, these former ways have ceased. In these last days, we have a final word, and that word is Jesus Christ. Again, I encourage you to look at Hebrews chapter 1, 1-4, this introduction, where we see that Jesus Christ, the righteous, He is the last word of the Father. He's the last word because He's the perfect word. Uh, he is the best revelation of the Father because He's the exact imprint of His nature. We have the Son of God coming to reveal the Father to us. So we're not looking for a better revelation. We're not looking for something added to add to that. Uh, the Word of God is complete. Now, let me say something about 
why we have a written word. Why we have a written word. Why do we have Bibles? Why are we people of the book? Well, the Word of God was written down for our benefit. I think the Westminster Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 1 here, is so helpful. It says, For the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit, that's the Scripture, the Word of God, the same holy unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary. These former ways, the dreams, the visions, the direct speech, these former ways of God revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. So why do we have a book? Well, so that we wouldn't stray away from the truth, so we wouldn't forget the truth. We confess that we're prone to wander, and so God in His mercy gives us something that does not change. It doesn't fall away. He gives us a book. All right, how do we know how do we know what scripture is? How do we know which books of the Bible make it in? Do we just go down to the local used bookstore and say, "Oh, this sounds good?" Absolutely not. The authority of every book of the Bible rests upon the authority of God himself. God is the one who says, "This book is in and that book is not." We receive the authority of the Scripture. We're not the one. The church is not the one that says, oh, this book is authoritative. We don't give authority to Scripture. We recognize the authority in Scripture because it is the Word of God. But God does give us markers of the Scripture. He gives us markers to build up our confidence. And let me just give you a few of those markers of Scripture. In the Bible, we see that there is a heavenliness of the matter. There's a heavenliness of the matter. Who in their right mind would have stuck with Israel for all of those years in the wilderness? Not us. Who would have thought to, to save a people, a Gentile nation, uh, gen, gen, the Gentile nations like us? Well, that's not the wisdom of man. There's a heavenliness about the revelation of God because it is from God himself. It's not from us. The efficacy of the doctrine. When we uh, teach the book of Romans, we see that, wow, man really is incapable of saving himself. That's the doctrine that's taught there. And that, that's what we see to be true in the world. When we see uh, the book of, uh, a book of Hebrews, we see that Christ really is better. There's a, there's a, a, a workingness to the, to the doctrine. The doctrine works. There's a majesty of the style. Now, I'm only going to say one comment about the Apocrypha today, and it'll be here. You shouldn't be afraid as a Christian to read the Apocrypha. But when you read it, you know that it's not the Scriptures. John, John 6, or John 10, uh, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And we just don't hear the voice of, the, of, of Jesus in other books. The Gnostic Gospels, Tobit, the Maccabees. We, don't, we just don't hear the, the voice of our Lord speaking in, in those books. There's not a majesty of the style. The consent of all its parts. From the book of Genesis with its genre to the book of Revelation with its genre, there's a unity of meaning because there's one author, as we mentioned. And then the scope of the whole. In the Bible, we have creation. We have everything that we need to know about man and our relationship to God, 
We have how we know things. We have eschatology, a, a doctrine of last things. We have everything that we need to know for faith and practice in the Bible. The scope is immense. And that's a marker of Scripture. And these markers give us confidence that the Bible we hold in our hands is the Word of God, but the authority, again, rests upon God alone. And let me just uh, give you a brief word about recognizing Scripture. The church does have a responsibility to receive these books, these 66 books. The church in 325 in the Council of Nicaea uh, did recognize the 66 books of the Bible. They received the Old Testament, the Jewish Old Testament, as the Word of God, but they also received the New Testament, and they had to uh, qualify what books they were going to receive by saying the apostles had to be the ones writing it or connected to that book because they were the eyewitnesses of Christ. If you want to read more on canon and canonicity, I highly recommend uh, this book uh, by Michael Kruger, Canon Revisited. It's a good introduction to how we have the, the New Testament books, uh, and I recommend it to you highly. But I want to press this to us before we move on. The Holy Spirit is the only guarantee of the authority of the Word. So when you are trying to have a conversation with an unbeliever, you can quote Scripture to them, but they're not going to hear it unless the Holy Spirit convicts their hearts of it. And this can be so hard because we are people of the book. This is what we. This is how we live our lives. And so there's a going, always going to be a disconnect between you and an unbeliever, between how you live your life and how they, they live their life, how you try to explain to them what is uh, most important to you, which is the Word of God, which is the glory of God in the Word of God, and what is most important to them. And so don't get discouraged if if you are giving the best arguments, pouring yourself and laying your heart out before this unbeliever, and they just don't get it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, next section, moving right along. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Let's say this together. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how to glorify and enjoy Him. All right, now we come to the real point of this question and answer. The Word of God is the only rule. This is the sola part of sola scriptura. It's the only rule. There are no others. And it's the only rule because all other rules fail. All other rules that we could put as our, as our North Star, they all fall short. Here are some options. Here are the only three options for your life and really what you're resting your eternity on. Here are your options. You could base your uh, life off of reason or experience. And I'll talk about how these two are really just the same. You could base your life off tradition. Or you could base your life off divine revelation. God, who created you and knows you and gives you a word about how you are to live your life, as almost an instructor's, an instructor's guide, instructions manual. He's the one who gives you uh, this divine revelation, and so we should heed it. We should pay attention to it. Your first option is reason or experience. Now, you can think about someone like Plato, someone who says, I can get to truth. 
I can know the truth using my noggin, using my powers of logic and reason to get there. But some, this is a funny little thing in, in philosophy, a few, guy, a few hundred years later, some guys come along and say, well, wait a minute, Plato, the way you reason is not the way that these people over here in the East reason. You have a Western mind. These people over here have an Eastern mind. So therefore, your reason is controlled by your experience. You can't separate the two. So really, you can live your life by your own experiences. And how, how often do we see our experiences fail us? How often do we see that our experiences are so confined and limited? <clears throat> we could also live our life by tradition. And all I'll say about tradition is that it's just a bunch of collected experiences. Right? So you get all the problems of a singular experience in a bunch of people's experiences. And that's tradition. Or you could have divine revelation. You could have the God who created all things and sustain all, sustains all things and knows all things tell you how to live your life. Wouldn't you rather have that word? All right, the attributes of Scripture. Why is Scripture our only rule? Well, because Scripture is sufficient. Scripture is sufficient for us. Uh, scripture is sufficient where creation is insufficient. Again, think, of, think with me about Romans 1, where Paul says, the things of God are clearly seen in creation, namely his eternal power and, and divine nature. But man suppresses that in unrighteousness. Uh, uh, general revelation, creation, the things that we see with our eyes, they're enough to, to convict us that there is a God. But it's not enough to bring us saving knowledge of Christ. General revelation is enough to convict us, but insufficient to save us. Scripture, however, teaches us everything necessary for saving knowledge of Christ. Well, scripture is the only way to know Christ. But also God's Word is enough. God's Word is enough. Satan in the garden, you remember, tempted Eve by saying, uh, did God really say, you shall only eat of, you, you cannot eat of any trees in the garden? And Eve replies, not with the Word of God. But also, in the wilderness, when Satan is tempting Jesus, God has just told Jesus, the Father has just declared to Jesus that you are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. And Satan comes along and says, If you are the Son of God, prove it. Turn this bread into uh, turn this stone, these stones into bread. But God's word is enough. And therefore, Jesus answers with Scripture and says, Deuteronomy 8:3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so we live our lives by the word. By the Bible, by the book. But also, Scripture, uh, there's perspicuity of Scripture. Now, perspicuity of Scripture is probably the most unclear word for clarity. Uh, scripture is clear. And you know, you're saying, wait a minute, <laughs> have, you, have you read Revelation? Well, again, our, our Westminster Confession helps us here, where it says, all, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. So some parts of Scripture are more clear than others. And not all alike, not all are, and nor are alike clear unto themselves. I think I read that wrong. What he's saying there is not everyone's going to have the same level of understanding about the scriptures. There are some people who are going to be more gifted, some people who are going to have the opportunity to study. 
Yet, those things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but also the unlearned, in a due use of ordinary means, may attain unto sufficient understanding of them. What the divines are saying here is that Scripture clearly presents to you Christ and the way of salvation, which is faith in Christ. Perhaps you've heard the uh, summarizing statement about the Gospel of John. Uh, The Gospel of John is deep enough for elephants to swim, but shallow enough for lambs to wade in. Scripture is is clear on the things that are necessary for salvation. And you don't need a seminary degree to understand Scripture. You just need good reading habits. And so let this be an encouragement to us to teach our children to read. Let's teach our children how to read so that they can read the Word of God, so they can have uh, a clear knowledge and understanding of, of who Christ is. All right, moving right along. Uh, third attribute of Scripture is authority. This word over here is the Hebrew word for glory. It is kavod, but it really means weighty. The Word of God carries weight. It carries authority, again, because of the source, because of who it comes from. Now, the authority of Scripture is self-authority. It's self-authenticating. The Bible is not appealing to another source outside of God, to to say, this is a witness to my truth. Remember, again, from the book of Hebrews, God can't swear by anything higher than himself because he is the greatest being uh, of, of the universe. The only rule, therefore, of interpreting Scripture is Scripture. How do we understand this hard passage of Scripture? Well, we look to a, a passage of Scripture that's clearer, that's more clear. Uh, fourth, the fourth attribute of Scripture. It's necessity. It's necessary for us. This is very similar to its sufficiency, and so I'll just really quickly say it's God's chosen means. Scripture is God's chosen means to to reveal salvation to us. Remember Romans 10 that uh, how shall we understand, how shall we hear unless there is uh, one preaching the word, one sense to preach the word of God to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we are people who are of the book. Now, the attributes of Scripture, there are fun little acronyms for it. Uh, you can pick one, stick it in your brain, memorize it. Uh, but the Scripture is a rule to us. Scripture is, is freedom. Uh, it gives us a binding principles. You remember in, uh, again, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of Scripture at you, but uh, 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is, uh, is going into competition with the prophets of Baal. And he has this competition where he sets up two altars and says, if whoever's God can and send down fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice there, that God will be the, t- the true God. The prophets of Baal go into a frenzy, and they're trying for hours and hours, and Elijah starts mocking them. But then Elijah gives a call to the people, and he says, how long will you waffle between two opinions? God has given you a clear revelation that he alone is God. Well, that is the Word. The Word gives us direction. It gives us freedom. It gives us Christian freedom. There's no man that can tell you how to to live your life. Uh, There is only the Scripture. 
Only the Scripture gives us the authority, and only the church's authority comes from the Scripture. The church's authority is ministerial and declarative, and we are declaring that word, the word of God. Now, scripture is a light to us. It's a light in the darkness. It's showing us the way. It's a treasure to us. It's a treasure that we uh, seek after earnestly. It it's, gives us direction and purpose, which I already mentioned. And it is wisdom. It's wisdom. How do we live our lives? How do we answer these tricky situations, these uh, morally gray situations that come up in, in life? Well, we go to the Scriptures. Scripture uh, untangles for us uh, how to be a Christian. And what it means for us is it means we need Scripture. We need the Bible. We need to be in it. Uh, Psalm 41.1, uh, we need to be panting after the Word as a deer pants after water. It's funny that David uses, it's not funny, it's, it's appropriate that David uses the imagery of a prey animal, a deer that's being hunted and pursued. And he's saying that I, I, I am one who lives in an unchristian un world, a hostile world, and I am an a, a stranger and an alien, and I need the word of God, which is life-giving and restoring. We need to be reverent about the Scripture. Exodus 19, the people come, the people of Israel, come to Mount Sinai, and they hear the thundering voice of God uh, down from the Mount Sinai. And the people quiver and shake, and and they receive it uh, in terror because it is a reverent thing. It's a holy thing. Uh, we are constantly in it. Uh, how does a young man keep his way pure? Uh, by guarding it according to his word. How do we not sin against the Lord? By treasuring up the Lord, uh, the word in our hearts. And we're praying Scripture back to God. Again, I, I encourage you, another Scripture for you to look at, uh, is the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 where Hannah is praying to the Lord, uh, using Scripture, uh, and asking the Lord to, to give her a child. But why? Why are we to be people of the book? Why are we to be so obsessed over the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament? Well, the purpose is so that we can know how to glorify and enjoy God, so we can know God Himself. So let's say this uh, another time. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. The purpose of Scripture is so that we would know our God, so that we would know our end, our being, and how we can have eternal satisfaction glorifying and enjoying Him. It's redemptive. The Word of God is to gather in a people. The Word of God goes out and is effective, you remember. Uh, it is a seed planted that reaps a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. So we are now to live life by the Scripture. We live life by the Scripture here in the not yet. Um, but we're also going to live our life by the eternal Word in heaven. We'll live our life uh, by the Word that was God and is God, in the beginning with God. And scripture is our guide. It gives us everything that's necessary for uh, what we are to think, what we are to believe about God, and how we are to live that out. Uh, scripture gives us a framework. It gives us wisdom and understanding. It gives us a, a framework to show us that all things are 
created by God. Therefore, God owns all things. So He is the one to tell us how to, to live our life amidst all things. The Scripture also defends us. Uh, it defends us against false teachers. It defends us against the attacks of Satan. It shows us our, our need for Christ. It shows us how we are sinners in the sight of God and how we need a Savior. The Scripture also sanctifies us. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays that uh, the Father would sanctify them in the truth, sanctify the disciples, His people in the truth. Your Word is truth. Scriptures also are apologetic uh, against a hostile world. Scripture is our sword of the Spirit. Uh, you see that in Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 4. Scripture is a, a two-edged sword that pierces to the division of, of uh, flesh, uh, of spirit and soul. Scripture is how we defend the glory of God. And that's really what we're trying to do in our apologetics, right? We're trying to defend the glory of God against these false uh, religions, against these uh, idols that we prop up against the glory of God. And most importantly, Scripture is the revelation of God Himself. Only in Scripture do we see that God is the Creator. God is the Sustainer. God is incomparable. That's how we know God. Uh, he is uh, imminent. He comes near to, to sinful people. Only in Scripture do we know the personality, the character of God as He reveals Himself. So how do we respond? Last week, as we saw, we respond by declaring the glory of God, by declaring Scripture. We respond by doing it persistently, morning and evening. We respond by doing it publicly, as we're about to. We respond by doing it holistically with every part of our being, every part of our person. Uh, it was said of the, the, um, the Puritan preacher John Bunyan uh, that if you cut him, he would bleed Scripture. That's an admirable goal. That's an admirable thing to be said of you. And we're supposed to respond by ascribing glory to the Lord, do His name. And again, the only way we know how to properly ascribe glory due to the Lord is from His revelation, from His Scripture. All right, last time. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. All right, that was way too fast. That was way too much. If you have questions, please come ask Pastor David. Uh, you, can, you can ask me some easy questions, perhaps. But, but let us be uh, trying to, to be people of the Word. And let me close us in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we do confess with Christ that we do not live by bread alone, but we do live by every word that proceeds from your mouth, O Lord. And in this world of sin and deception, we do need a trustworthy guide, a light that shines for us continually by which to live, by which to walk. Lord, help us to humbly seek after your word of truth, and may it be for us our only rule by which we live our lives. May we seek no other guide, no other wisdom than the wisdom that you provide. May we even glorify and enjoy you now as we come to worship you by the book, by the word, as we're called into worship by your voice, as we pray your word and your promises back to you, as we hear your word exegeted. And Father, we pray that we would do all this to the glory of Christ. 
In his name that we pray, amen.